So last, uh, last week what we studied was, first of all, the second dispensation, which was the dispensation of conscience. We talked about Adam and Eve and uh, all the way up to the judgments of God being the flood where the Lord took care of the sin of man and repented that he made man and actually sent a flood that covered the earth. And uh, we studied that, and then we went to the third dispensation of human government. We talked about the beginning of nations, how that languages and nations began with Shem, Ham, and uh, Japheth, and the dispersion at the Tower of Battle, Babel. Excuse me. And then uh, we talked about Abraham being father of the faithful, the covenant promises, and uh, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, how that God spared Lot and his wife and two daughters. And then, of course, Lot uh, produced Moab and Amnon. And uh, this is uh, all the enemies of, of Israel from that day until now. We talked about the fourth dispensation of promise, where that God promised Abraham a, a child and gave it to him. And then we talked about Israel becoming a nation. That was the last thing we studied. I wish I would have had more more time there, how that, uh, how that Jacob's name was changed to Israel. Remember that when he wrestled with God. And, of course, Joseph, Joseph was uh, sold into slavery. Twelve sons of Jacob are Israel. Jacob, Jacob was sold into slavery and went from uh, the pit to the Potiphar's house, to the prison, to the palace, and was second in command. His brothers come down, not knowing who he was. Anyway, this is how this is how Israel wound up in Egypt, and uh, they they were there in the land of Goshen, and they went in about seventy. They came out. History says three to five million strong. That's a pretty big increase in four hundred years. But when you're just in slavery, all you can do is eat and have babies. So that's what they did. So, uh, nevertheless, it was the will of God, and that's what happened. So, uh, we're going to have a little fun right here, and I may not get through everything tonight because i got a lot to cover, but if I don't, I will come back next week and, and cover it right because I'm determined not to go too fast right here especially. So, let's, let's just don't look at anything. Don't look at your Bible. Don't look at your study sheet from last week. Uh, who was Abraham and Sarah's son of promise? Somebody tell me. Isaac, I heard it. Isaac. Now, Brother Hodge, be careful here. Don't answer all the questions. Who was the father of the faithful? Abraham. Who ate the forbidden fruit? Both of them. Adam and Eve. Of course, that woman got that man in trouble, I'm telling you. Amen. Where did God confuse the languages of men? Babel. Everybody say Babel. A man so favored by God that he never died. Enoch. Everybody say Enoch. These are things we talked about last week. Who was Abraham's nephew that moved into Sodom? Lot. Lot and his family moved to Sodom. And then Isaac's younger son who received the birthright by trickery was Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel when he wrestled with the Lord. Noah's sons from all uh, 
from all the nations now come from. It's Noah and Noah's sons. Who were, who were they? Ham, Shem, Japheth. And Noah and their wives were all that were on the ark. Jacob's son that was sold into slavery and eventually became the emperor in, uh, in Egypt was Joseph. You're doing good. I'm, I just want to make sure you got this because I went fast last week. Who killed his brother because he was jealous? Cain. Cain killed Abel, right? Why did he kill him? This is, this is not a question. Why, anybody know why he killed him? He was, he was jealous because his sacrifice was not accepted unto God. Am I right? Amen. So who found grace in the eyes of the Lord? Noah. In a wicked day, he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Who sacrificed the best of his flock to the Lord when he came to bring his offering to the Lord? I heard it. Abel. Abel. And uh, Abraham's son, who was the father of the Arab nation, is Ishmael. Everybody say Ishmael. And then one more. Isaac's eldest son, he did, he did not value his birthright and blessing, and he sold it for a bowl of soup, Esau. All right. Have you ever read a scripture? Boy, this would be one to preach on. God hath loved Jacob, but he hated Esau. That's pretty tough stuff right there. Don't ask me to explain that one on this lesson tonight. Okay? Amen. So we're going to, we're going to go into our fourth lesson, and we're going to begin tonight with God sending a deliverer. Now, when we ended... Israel, the nation, was in bondage in Egypt, and there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And so this is where we're going to start tonight because God sent a deliverer for his people of whom were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, <clears throat> and he had 12 sons. And these were the nations of Israel. So we now leave Genesis, the book of beginnings, to study the other books of the law. That would be Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books of the law. We talked about them in the very outset of our lessons. Exodus describes the exit or departure of Israel from Egypt. Leviticus teaches the holiness of God and how to approach him, the Levitical priesthood. Numbers is so named because the Israelites' fighting forces were twice numbered in the book of Numbers. And then, of course, Deuteronomy is the book of second law. It records Moses' farewell address and the laws of God. So, these, these are the things that we're going to be looking at. And Exodus opens with God's covenant people awaiting deliverance in a pagan land. They were crying out to God. In Egypt, they had flourished into a large nation. You'll just, you can walk, you can watch on the, the, the chart while I speak tonight. I'll not always refer to the chart, but you can see it there. 
The Bible said in Exodus 1 and 7, the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty and the land was filled with them. So God prospered this nation that was growing while they were in bondage. The whips of the Egyptian taskmasters were not easy when they were lashed across the backs of those Israelites. And as Hebrew slaves, it became more miserable, and their sighs and their cries and their groans came up before the Lord, and God heard them. I want you to know God heard them. God will always hear the prayer of his people. Can you say amen? So, so the Bible said they, they, they were fruitful and increased abundantly and they multiplied. And the Bible said they, they waxed exceedingly great. All things, let me tell you something. God's got a plan and he's got it for your life and he's got it for mine. The Bible said in Romans chapter 8, one of my favorite verses in all of the scriptures, verse 28, all things, everybody say all things. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. If you love God and you're called according to the purpose of God, all things are going to work. It didn't say everything was going to be good or everything was going to be bad, but it said all things work together for good. And I believe that tonight. Satan sought to destroy the promised seed of the woman Remember the curse that he's under. Remember the woman, was she, she was going to have pain and childbearing, but also the Bible said that, that the seed of the woman was going to bruise the head of the serpent. And so we understand that Satan was fighting. And uh, knowing that Abraham had been specified in that lineage and who these people were, I'm telling you right now that Satan was working overtime to destroy the seed of Abraham. But during this labor and during this, this slavery, the Hebrew children multiplied. Now, they, the, the Hebrew midwives were ordered to kill every male child at their birth, but they were afraid and they would not do that and did not obey the command of Pharaoh. Finally, Pharaoh commanded the Egyptians to report the birth of male Hebrew babies whereupon the infants would be drowned in the Nile River. But you notice on the top left, there was a baby born whose name was Moses. His father was named Amram and his mother's name was Jochebed. They were a godly, godly couple. They were of the Levi tribe, and they were blessed with a fine baby boy. The Bible called him, in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23, a proper child. He was a proper child. And, and, and she kept her baby at home for three months, away from the midwives and away from those who would kill all the male children. And Jochebed in her, in her trying to save her baby, made Moses an ark of bulrushes, made it out of bulrushes, or put it in the bulrushes, excuse me, made an ark, a chest-like ark of bulrushes, and put him in this little ark and put him in the water at the time that Pharaoh's daughter 
would come to bathe. And the tiny ark was strategically placed. And the sister of, of, of Moses, Miriam was her name. She was, she was hiding out and she was watching and she was listening. Let me tell you, God knows how to devise means to save his people. Do you hear me? I said God knows how to devise means to save his people. And, and, and he so was that when Moses cried, this, this Pharaoh's daughter found him, drew him out of the water, and took him into the house of Pharaoh, the palace, and claimed him as her child. Here's Miriam watching all this happen. And, and she comes up to Pharaoh's daughter and says, you need a babysitter? I'm paraphrasing now. Would you like for somebody to take care of this child? And, of course, Pharaoh's daughter said yes. And guess who got to take care of the child? His own mother. His own mother. And while Moses was being raised in the house of Pharaoh, Jochebed was putting truth into, into Moses. And, and in so much that, that when he got older, you know, I, I love this story because God took Pharaoh's evil scheme and turned it into the favor of the people of God and raised up a deliverer, in the, in, not in the land, but in the very house of Pharaoh. He took the devil's own weapons and he used them against him. Can you say amen? So, so this is quite a story. Moses' mother, uh, she taught, here's what Hebrews said about Moses in that chapter of faith, Hebrews 11. The Bible said, by faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in excuse me in Egypt so there came a time in Moses life when he when he was uh, when he was in in the field and and he saw he saw an Egyptian do harm killed uh, uh, an Israelite and and Moses took it in his own hands. He was 40 years at the time, and, and he killed the Egyptian, and he hid his body in a shallow grave. And the following day, he's out there, and the Hebrew dispute, to settle a Hebrew dispute, and one of them, one of the Egyptians said, are you going to kill us like you killed the other Egyptian? And he knew he was seen. So Moses fled the, the land of Egypt and, and fled to Midian, and became a shepherd on the backside of a desert. For 40 years, he was in Pharaoh's house. The next 40 years were spent in a place in, in, in Midian in a, in a desert called Sinai. And there he was a shepherd until God showed up to this deliverer in a burning bush. And one day Moses is tending the sheep and, and the bush is suddenly on fire. And, and God's calling Moses, and he says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Remember that story? 
Can you see the trembling Moses standing on the backside of a desert and, and the Lord speaking to him out of a bush that's on fire that is not being consumed? But God's, in, and I'm just going to paraphrase what the Lord said is, I've called you to be the deliverer of my people. Moses is now 80 years old. And of course, Moses said, I can't do that. I'm slow of speech. I can't talk. And God said, I'll take care of that. He said, I'll send Aaron, your brother, to be your spokesman. I'll, I'll go with you, Moses. And God called Moses. When, when Moses questioned what the name of the authority of God is and what he would go in, Moses knew him as El or Elohim or Shaddai or Yahweh. But now God speaks to Moses. He said, when they ask who sent you, you tell them, I am that I am. I am that I am, meaning he who alone exists, the great I am, the one true and living God. You just let them know the, the living God sent you. You tell them I am that I am. And so here we are with Moses headed down to Egypt. But before he went, he said, now, Lord, I need a sign. And, and the Lord said, okay, I'll give you a sign throw that staff down on the ground, and he did, and it became a serpent, right? And he said, pick it back up again. Now, Moses was braver than I am because he did pick it back up again. I just said, Lord, you pick it up. But he reached down and got that serpent by the tail, and it turned back into a staff again. Amen? So the next thing he, do, he, he did was God... God said, just put your, your hand in your bosom. And he did, and it was leprous when he drew it out. But when he put it back in, the leprosy was gone. So God spoke to Moses and showed him by sign. And, 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 and he sent Aaron with him. He took every excuse out of Moses' hand and sent him down into the land of, of Egypt to deliver the children of Israel, May, Moses and Aaron went together, and God went with them. So let me, let me talk a little bit about what God did. Because when they got to Pharaoh and said, God said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, oh, no, 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 no. Who, who is your God? And, of course, Moses told them. And as and a matter of fact, Exodus 5 and 2 said, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice to let Israel go. I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. Well, this was God's plan because God was going to show Pharaoh who God really is and who his children really were. Aren't you glad you're on the Lord's side on this Wednesday night? Man, I'm glad I know who Jesus is. Amen. So, so uh, they, they went to Pharaoh, and of course, they, they, Moses threw his rod down and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh said, that's not anything. So he calls his astrologers in and his soothsayers and they throw their rod down and it becomes a serpent. But guess what? Does anybody know what happened? Huh? Moses' rod that turned into a serpent swallowed up the serpents of those, of those mag magicians and soothsayers of Pharaoh's. So, so, it was a sign, but Pharaoh didn't take that. And, and the Lord 
the Lord was in all of this. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. After the completion of, of, of ten plagues, I promise you he's going to know who God is because God had a plan. So let me, let me take you quickly through the plagues that came to Egypt. You'll see them on the right side. Every time there was a plague, Pharaoh would, would, would soften a little bit and, and eventually he would say, okay, I'll let you go. And one time he said, I'll let you go, but you can't go too far. Another time he said, I'll let you go, but you can't take your kids. You can't take your family. But God was looking for complete deliverance. And so here comes the plagues. You know, back in those days, the Egyptians were idol worshipers. And one of the things they worshiped was the Nile River. They, they worshiped, they called the Nile the father of life. They literally worshiped that. So God just started right there. And he turned the Nile River and all of its tributaries into blood. Aaron just stretched out his rod and every canal and every container of stored water and the Nile just turned into blood. And it was there for several days. For seven days, as a matter of fact, there was, there was a river of blood. And then, and then, of course, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let you people go. But every time they started to go, Pharaoh would change his mind. The second thing that came was, was frogs, frogs. The land was covered with frogs. There was an epidemic of frogs. There was, there was a, a de, it defiled the frog that they worshiped as a goddess. It was mockery to their gods. There was a reason God was doing all this. And the land, can you imagine this land being covered with frogs? Frogs hopping in your oven, frogs hopping in your refrigerator, frogs jumping in your automobile, frogs jumping on your legs, frogs in your hair, frogs, frogs. The land, the Bible said, was covered with frogs. Didn't stop there. The next, the next plague was a plague of gnats. It was called lice then, but it was actually gnats little creatures that would come and bite. And then there came flies. The land was covered with flies. And then the cattle got a disease. I, I, I'm not going to take every one of these and discuss them individually because I'd be here all night. But the cattle got disease and cattle began to die. And then balls came upon man and beast. Balls became all over their body until they were crying out in pain. Hell came. Hell came down so strong and so powerful that, uh, that people were running for their lives. The seventh plague was an unprecedented violent hailstorm hail uh, and, and things that would destroy crops and destroy the land. And the sky goddess was unable to intervene because that was one of their gods. And then come locusts. And then this one, number nine, is darkness. Darkness covered. The Bible said they could feel the darkness. It was painful, so dark. I remember one time many years, many, many, many years ago, my dad took us, we were on the way to California, and you've heard me tell this perhaps, but we went at a place called Carl's Bed Cavern. Anybody ever been there? A few hands. I remember us, the guide taking us down into the cave, and he said, nobody move because I'm going to turn the lights out. I want you to see how dark it is in this cave. 
That's the darkest I've ever seen anything. I didn't see anything. It was dark. You could not see your hand right here. It was painfully dark. The Bible talked about Moses stretching forth his hand toward heaven and a thick darkness, the Bible said, that could be felt covered the land of Egypt. Covered it. All this time, Israel's living in a little portion of Egypt called Goshen. And all this stuff is happening to Pharaoh and his people. But nothing was happening in the land of Goshen because that's God's people. Could I just pause here for a minute on this Wednesday night and tell you God will always preserve his people. He's going to all, I don't care if there's a war anywhere in this world. I don't care if there's a famine. I don't care. I, I care, but I'm, I'm just saying the fact is if you're in the people of God, the church of God, the Lord is going to take care of his church. I believe that with all of my heart. God is going to take care of his people. He did it then. He'll do it now. So Pharaoh wouldn't listen to all of these things. So, so the Lord knew. He, he knew what to pull out. And so he instructed Moses, he said, I'm going to send one more plague. It's called the plague of death. I'm going to kill the firstborn of man and beast. I'm going to kill the firstborn of every household in Egypt. Here's what you have to do. Here's what you have to do. The bottom right picture says Passover. This is one of the most significant times in the history of Israel not only for history, but for the future, because it tells such a powerful story. This was going to be a dreadful plague that would come upon the Egyptians. Notice in the story of the Passover the many comparisons of the New Testament church. I'm going to walk you through that because I want you to see how God laid out types and shadows in that time. And how do I know that? Because the Bible is going to tell us that. As a matter of a fact, the Bible said in Hebrews 9, 26, Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice himself. And he also said, he also used in the New Testament, and I don't have time to look up every scripture, but he uses the Passover as a typology of what the church and how the church was going to get into this day that we live in. So here's what happened. God calls Moses in, Exodus 12. You can go read it. He said, first thing I'm going to do is change the month. I'm going to make for you, this is going to be the beginning of months. It's going to be a brand new year for you. Didn't Paul say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away? Huh? It's going to be a brand new day when you come to God. Everybody with me? It's going to be a brand new time. So that was the first thing. He said, I want you to go get... A lamb, a lamb without spot and a lamb without blemish. I want you to bring it to your house. I want you to tie it outside your house, outside your door. You keep the lamb there four days. Everybody say four days. Hosea said the Lord speaks as, as one day as a thousand years. If you took from the time of creation to the birth of Christ, it's 4,000 years. So from the time of creation to the time of Jesus was four days on God's calendar. So he said, take the lamb, 
keep it for four days, and then I want you to get the lamb and slay it. I want you to take the blood of that lamb. I want you to put it above your door, down the sides of your door, because I'm going to send the death angel passing over this land. And the only way death is not coming to your house is if you have blood applied to your door. Does this make sense to everybody? So this is why it's called the Passover. Everybody say the Passover. Because when I see the blood, I'm going to pass over you. He said also, I want you to get your shoes on. I want you to get your loins girded. I want you to get your staff in your hand. You've got to be ready to march, ready to leave. And then I want you to call in your family and you eat the lamb. And if the household be too little for the lamb, you share it with your neighbor. Make sure everybody has strength. Make sure everybody has the lamb eaten, shoes on, staff in hand, loins girded, ready to go because this is what it's going to take to get you out of Egypt. Amen? This is all in the book. You can go read it for yourself. So at midnight, at midnight, after the, after the fourth day of having that lamb, they killed it, they brought it in, they ate it, they had blood on their door. Let me tell you something. At midnight, when the death angel passed over Egypt, and he went through the land, and there was blood on the door, he wouldn't bother that house. But every house in Egypt, including Pharaoh's house, suffered death. Death. This got the attention finally of Pharaoh. And this is how Israel, let me tell you something else they did. The Lord said, I want you to go to your neighbors, and I want you to borrow. I want you to get all their jewelry, all the gold, all the silver, and all the raiment you can take out of Egypt. I want you to take it out of here with you. He loaded them up and said, when I, when I pass over, then you're out of here. But I want you to take everything with you that you can take. So Israel was was miraculously delivered at the hand of Moses when death came. Next chart, please. When death came and the Passover was there. Let me tell you how this lines up, the Passover, before I go any further. I want, I want you to see the, the, the symbols and the types and the shadows. The Passover was when the Lord saw the blood. Do you know what's going to save us from sin? Egypt is a type of the world. Israel's a type of the church. You know what the Lord, how the Lord's going to save every one of us? By the blood of the Lamb, a spotless Lamb, Jesus Christ, who was, the Bible said, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. That spotless Lamb was crucified, and His blood has been applied to our lives. Hallelujah. Does anybody see the symbols and the types and the shadows that the Passover put here? And by this, the Bible said you don't have to die. There's two deaths recorded in the Bible, two deaths. One of them is physical. One of them is a spiritual death. And Revelation called the, the second death that spiritual death. You do not have to die a spiritual death. 
You are born once to die two times if you are never born again. But if you are born twice, you are born to not die the second death. Born once, die twice. Born twice, die once. We're going to die a physical death and we can't help it. But you do not have to die a spiritual death. Somebody here ought to shout amen. So after spending more than 400 years in Egyptian bondage, the Lord delivered three to five million people out of the land of Egypt. The on, only 600,000 men over 20 years of age are mentioned. 600,000 men. Now, historians say it was three to five million. I can't give you an exact count because the Bible does not give it. But I will tell you this, in Psalms 105, the Bible said there was not one feeble person among the tribes of Israel. Not one. Can you imagine three to five million people and nobody sick? Everybody could make the journey. Amen? So the Lord said, I'm going to, Moses, I'm going to give you a pillar of cloud to, sh to shield you from the blistering desert sun. And when darkness fa falls, it's going to turn into a pillar of fire. So from that day, they had a cloud by day and a fire by night, which was God that led them everywhere they went. The crossing of the Red Sea. Know the story? They come to the Red Sea, and there's Pharaoh's army behind them. There's mountains on each side of them. They began to grumble and complain. They wasn't out of Egypt a day where they started grumbling and complaining. We wish to God we'd have left, you'd have left us there. We could have died in Egypt. You brought us out here. We're going to die at the hands of Pharaoh because guess what Pharaoh did? Pharaoh, when, when the death plague came, it was let them go. But when they were gone, he realized his slaves were no more. And, and three to five million people under his reign were walking out. And so he gathers up all the horses, 600 royal chariots, and he heads for the Israelites. And they're up against the Red Sea. I preached one time, and I may preach it again soon. Red Sea places. We've all been there. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. Don't know what to say, how to get out of this mess. But I'll tell you what, God had a plan. I said God had a plan. And God just told Moses, and uh, he stretched forth his rod, and the waters parted, and the three to five million people walked through on dry land. While they're standing there, they're ready to take Moses' life. You know what the Lord said? Don't be afraid. Stand still and see what the Lord will do for you. He will fight this battle. How many of you know that if you'll just stand still sometime and don't, look, you can't fight your battles by yourself. God will fight your battles for you. Somebody hear me today. I said, God will fight your battles for you. You don't have, sometimes we just need to say, here I am, God. You got me here, now you take care of this. You brought me out, and you didn't bring me out to leave me out. You brought me out to take me in. Amen. So Moses lifted up that rod, and the seas parted. They walked across. The water, a great east wind blew, the Bible said. And the water just rolled up, just rolled up on its side. And can you imagine the path? 
that had to be for three to five million people to walk across. And when the last one got on the other side, they looked over their shoulder and here comes Pharaoh and his army. And God just let them come right on across that dry land until they got to the middle of the Red Sea and the waters came back together. I'll tell you what else God did. You think we're not serving a powerful God? He didn't just let the waters come back. Before he did that, he reached down and just undone the lug nuts on the chariots. And the wheels came off. The wheels came off. And when the wheels came off, there they were in the middle of the Red Sea. The Lord let them all get there. And Pharaoh died with his army. I watched a, a little movie that was depicting uh, the history of, of the great deliverance of Israel. And, and they left Pharaoh alive. I told my wife, I said, oh, no. Pharaoh died in the Red Sea. His chariot was there, too. And they all died in the Red Sea. So, so this is how God delivers his people. And, and the Bible said in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 and 2, all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So the Lord used that to assure us of baptism in the New Testament. We call upon the name of the Lord. We commit ourselves to him. He separates us from sin and from the world. And we, we are baptized in his name. We are filled with his spirit. This is the way out of the world. Let me tell you, Miriam, Moses' oldest sister, she was dancing and singing and playing a tambourine. And she led the dance at 90 years old. What the Bible said... And then they come to the wilderness and there's bitter waters. And, and, and the scriptures talk about the bitter waters in Exodus 15. The children of Israel were murmuring and complaining and rebelled against the, the principles of God and what God had done. They, look, folks, all the miracles Israel saw, do you know how many times they stopped long enough to complain? I'm going to talk about it a little more tonight. Water was found, but it didn't taste good. Well, let me tell you what God did. He said, Moses, you cast a certain tree into the water, and it's going to become sweet. And the healing of these bitter waters was a sign to Israel that God was able and willing to heal their bodies. Listen to what 15 of Exodus said in verse 25. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance. And there he proved them and said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. That's all if you will do this. He said, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And he gave Israel a covenant and a promise when the bitter waters were made sweet. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread and thy water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. That's the promises of God to Israel. So how did Israel lead three to five million people 
Well, I tell you what, they didn't have anything to eat, so God just rained food every, every morning. Every morning. They picked up an omer of manna, manna, heavenly food. Had all the vitamins, all the minerals, everything you could want. God provided it. They didn't have squash and potatoes and butter beans. And, but, you know, there's three to five million. They hadn't planted a garden. God said, i got to feed them. So he just opened up the heaven every day and rained manna. Here's what he told them. You go out every day for, six, for five days and you get enough manna for that day. Okay? You get enough manna. On the sixth day, you get enough manna for two days because I don't want you gathering manna on the seventh day. He told them to get an omer full of manna. It was, uh, it was about a quart, if I understand right. And on the sixth day, they got two omers to, of manna because the seventh day was holy, and they were not to pick up manna on the seventh day. If they got too much manna, it spoiled before the next day. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this month. Huh? Give us this what? Our what? You got to have it every day. Y'all think I couldn't preach here for about 30 minutes? Oh, you got to touch God every day? You got to get your manna every day. You can't get enough on Sunday to last the next Sunday. And you sure can't get enough on Christmas to last the next Christmas. Huh? There's some folks that bring their pail and they get enough on Easter that they think they don't have to eat till the next Easter. You with me? But the Lord said, I want you to gather it every day. There's a great message in that for the church. We have to have manna on a daily basis. Every day you've got to have manna in your life. And you go out and get it every morning. And you, that's why Paul said, I die daily, every day, every day. I wish we would all learn that if we would touch God, if we'd get up every day with the Lord on our mind, and, and, and I, you know what? I haven't always done it. I haven't always done right. I try to, but, but I have made a point in my life, especially over the last few months of my life, to get up every day and to have that bread, that daily bread, reading the Word of God and praying and seeking God. Sometimes I have to jump in my vehicle and take off. Let me tell you something. That's when I turn off everything else and I'm talking to God, driving down the road to start my day. Lord, I need you this day. I need the hand of God this day. I got to have daily manna today. It's my strength. It's my nutrition. It's my spiritual strength. I got to have it every day. Somebody here shout amen. And so here they are, and they're they're living on manna, and you know, and just just like a bunch of spoiled spoiled people, they got to complaining about manna, and the Lord said, "Okay, I'll fix that." And he had a thunderstorm of quail, and he rained quail down, and you know what the Bible said about them? <laughs> they they griped, and and God said, "Okay, I'll send quail." The Bible said they ate quail. This is what the Bible said, till it ran out their nose. They were sick of quail. Amen? God knows what's best for you. If he says manna, eat manna. 
You can, you can, you can pro, uh, petition God and get quail, but that may not be what you need. Manna had everything in it that God intended for them to have. So it's a daily thing. Everybody say it's a daily thing. And then came, and then came the law on the right-hand side on the bottom, the law and the tabernacle. We, we, there's a lot to be said about the law, and I'm going to say some things about the tabernacle if I get to it tonight. And I can see right now I'm not going to get to it. So we're going to lengthen the time, and we're going to come back next week when I get what, where I can finish this like it ought to be finished. But, but the law and the tabernacle, in, in the third month or about six weeks after leave, leaving Egypt, they reached the Sinai Peninsula. And, and, and that was familiar country for Moses. And he, he'd lived there for 40 years herding sheep. And he was surrounded by majestic cliffs. And, and this two-mile-wide, well-irrigated plain became Israel's camping ground. And, and it became their schoolhouse for the next year. Because the Bible said the law was the schoolmaster that brought them to grace. Amen? While they're there, here God gave them the law and ratified a covenant and provided blueprints for the tabernacle, the tabernacle plan. And then, and then Moses calls spies, one from each tribe. He calls the spies. And he sends them in, they were at a place called Kadesh Barnea. Kadesh Barnea, they, they took about 16 months to get to Kadesh Barnea. And so they sent spies over into the land of Canaan, one from every tribe. Well, it, it, they were there, and when they came back, uh, the Bible tells us the story of the spies. Ten of them said, we, we, we can't go there. The, the, there's giants in the land. It's truly a land that, that, that has milk and honey, and, and we, we, but we can't take that land. We're not strong enough. And God got angry. There was two guys that came back, though. Does anybody know their name? Joshua and Caleb, they were the other two spies. You know what they said? You know what Caleb said? We can, we can do this. We are well able to take this land. This, this is our land. God's going to give it to us. Two men of faith, ten of unbelief. But God got angry with Israel. God was not pleased with Israel. And he said to Moses, he said, I'm going to turn them back into the wilderness and every man that is over 20 years old today will never see the promised land. I'm going to raise up a new generation that's going to see it because they're going to believe it. And they, this is how Israel, almost two years wandering to Kadesh Barnea, sent the spies over. And, and then, of course, then, of course, when, when the unbelief was there, God was upset. But God said, Caleb and Joshua, they're going to see the promised land because they had faith. They believed God. Amen. The dismal tidings spread through the camp, and the congregation was weeping like children. And, and they, they, they were ready to stone Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And, and they said, I wish to God we'd have died. That was their big cry. I wish we'd have died in the land of Egypt. But, but with, with no, no warnings, listen to me. God said, I've had enough. And with no warning sign, the ten unbelieving spies died with a plague. And God turned the whole nation 
wandering back into the wilderness. Kadesh Barnea was probably Israel's headquarter for quite some time. Little is known about the events of the next 38 years, except that they wandered in a wilderness when they didn't have to. What could have been theirs in two years or less turned into 40 years because of unbelief. I don't want that to be me. I want to believe God and get the things of God in my life. Listen to me. One of the occurrences was, was organized conspiracy of leaders with a group of rebels led by Korah and another by Dathan and by Abiram. Both groups, listen, rose up against Moses and Aaron and complained about leadership. Why should they exercise so much authority over the Levites and the chiefs of the congregation? And listen what I'm about to tell you. Their stubborn rebellion was punished in a most unusual way. The earth opened up and swallowed up Korah and Dathan and Abiram, devouring not just them, but their families and their goods. Shrieks and screams sounded throughout the camp as people ran and fled for their lives. But the fire of God, the sanctuary of, of the sanctuary flashed and, and flashed like lightning and killed 250 other rebels. And the day following when the people blamed Moses and Aaron for the rebels' death, another 14,700 people were slain by a plague. Shortly before the 40 years expired, the people begged again for water. And so what are you saying? I'm saying I don't know a lot about it, but I read about corn just a few weeks ago in my Bible reading. I thought, my God, Sometimes it just don't pay to buck God, does it? It just don't pay. When they rose up, they rose up, and they had their stubborn way. God didn't, he didn't argue with them. He just opened up the earth and swallowed them up. This is in our lesson tonight. The stubborn rebellion was punishment for their unusual, in a most unusual way. It was punishment that God projected. The people begged for water. Moses, Moses prostrated himself before the Lord. He was told, he, he, he told the Lord, or rather he was told by the Lord to speak to the same rock that had previously flowed. And instead, Moses struck that rock with, a, with his rod again. And water came out. But guess what? That little bitty thing that Moses did when God said, speak to it, Moses said, I'm going to do it like I did it before. You can't always do it the same way. You got to hear the voice of God. And when Moses said, I'm going to smite it with a rod, he did. God honored it. God didn't embarrass Moses, but Moses embarrassed God. And God said, because you smote the rock, you're not going into the land of promise. And he did not go. So because of unbelief and disobedience, he was prevented and prohibited from entering Canaan. Shortly after that, Aaron died. The people again, tired of heavenly manna, wished instead for Egypt's fare. And there was no miraculous supply fulfilling their request. Instead, they were punished by fiery serpents. My wife would have had a heart attack before one ever got to her. But people began to die from snake bites. 
and they repented and asked Moses to pray for them. He made a brass replica of a servant and put it on a, on, on, to be mounted on a pole in the middle of the camp. And when people looked at the brass serpent, anyone who had been bitten would be healed by looking at the brass serpent. Healing power was not in the brass serpent, but it was obeying the plan of God. you got to obey the plan of God. All through Israel's history, Jesus used that story of the brazen serpent to illustrate his future death on the cross. If you want to be saved, if you want to be healed, if you want to be right look look to him he's the only one that can take care of you